Acts 18 and read through verse 25. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from his sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. Father God, thank you, thank you, thank you for sending your son to live the life that we could never live, to die the death that we were supposed to die so that we could have a life that we don't deserve. God, it's all because of grace. Everything about this season is you raining your grace down upon us. And so, God, I, I pray just that as we dive into your word and we see how Jesus has been faithful, it just stir our faith to live for you. Regardless of what your answer for us individually is, God, may we trust you and may we be drawn near you in this time. Speak to us, and it's in the name of Jesus that we pray this. Amen. Thank you. And so again, just to recap real quick, the Jews, 400 years of not hearing from God. I mean, even longer than that, like all the way, Genesis chapter 15, God speaking to Abraham, promising that from your seed, the entire generations are going to be blessed. So from that moment on, they're looking, hey, there is going to be somebody that is going to come out of Abraham and bless everybody. All through the Old Testament, we see just hints and sometimes shouts of Jesus coming, and he has finally come. Emmanuel, God with us. You're saying that God has come down in the form of a child in human flesh. He is going to come and deliver us. Praise God, the answer has come. What we've been waiting for has come. And now we have to wait more. We have to wait longer. The answer did not come how the Jews looked for it. They've been waiting for this militant Messiah, for somebody to come and literally take up arms, go to war with Rome, and deliver all of the captives. Jesus came. But John chapter 1, verse 11, it says that he came to his own, but they did not receive him. They did not like how Jesus came because instead of Jesus coming with a sword, how they were hoping, he came preaching love. He came preaching peace. He came preaching, if your enemy slaps you on one side of the face, turn to them the other cheek. If a soldier tells you to go one mile with them, go an extra mile. And everybody's like, hold on, can't be the Messiah. That's not what we're looking for. We're looking for, take up your sword, kill everybody, liberate your country, freedom. That's what they're looking for. And Jesus totally came separately. 
John the Baptist, he saw Jesus walking by, and he said in John chapter 1, verse 29, he said, the next day John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Here he is, the one that is going to deliver you from all your sins. Make right your relationship with God. But John even said, I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. I myself, I did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, He on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who is going to fulfill the prophecy of Jeremiah. This is he who will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. So again, there's your answer. But even in that moment, you have to wait almost three years to receive the ultimate outcome of the answer that God gave. John is testifying right here. This, this is the Messiah. This is the one who's going to deliver you. But you got to wait three years for it to happen. Because he still did not come in the way that Jesus expected. I had heard it said, and take this with a grain of truth, however you want. But I've heard it said that Judas, the one that betrayed Jesus, was so sold out on the belief of the Messiah coming that when he saw the, the story and, and the message that Jesus was coming with, that's why he betrayed Jesus. Because he said, I cannot let, he's got this following come after him that is preaching peace and preaching love, and I can't let that, that's not good for the nation of Israel. So we have to betray him. We have to get him arrested and prove that he's not truly the Messiah. Because from what they say, Judas believed so much in the Messiah that he honestly missed the true Messiah. And so often we can want this answer so much that when God reveals the true answer to us, we miss it completely. So what do we do when God gives us an answer, but it's not what we expected, when maybe it requires us to wait a little bit more? It requires us to persevere a little bit more. It requires us to be on our knees a whole lot more just begging him, God, guide me through this. This is where we're going to be in Matthew chapter 26, and it's on the night that Jesus was betrayed because Jesus experienced all of these things. So what do you do? First off, you trust the promises of God. You trust that what God says is true. Remember, I've said this, uh, faith is the belief that God is God. Not that he's going to do what we want for him to do, because that makes us God. But the faith that he is God, and he is going to do what he is going to do. And honestly, it's that that is best. It's best for us, and it's best for others. Because Matthew chapter 26, Jesus goes a little further, and he falls on his face as he is praying, God, remove this cup from me if it is possible. But nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. You see the trust that Jesus has in God right there? He knows entirely what is about to happen. He knows the torture that he's going to go through. The torture that most people wouldn't even survive. That we're told in Isaiah, he was not even recognized as a man because of the scour scourging, the beating, the whipping, all of that that happened. He knew it was coming. But even beyond that, he knew the wrath of God was about to be poured out on him so that it didn't fall on us. And so, yeah, Jesus is like, Father, if it be your will, if there be any way possible, let that way happen. 
but he has trust in God. He says, Father, not my will, but your will. God, let it be ultimately what you have planned. Your will is so much better than mine. And so I'm going to trust your will. That's what we do. We say, God, I'm going to trust you. Even though I don't see where this is going, God, your will be done, not mine. But the thing is, is you can't just say trust. It starts there. It starts in your head, making a conscious decision. I'm going to trust God. But true trust requires action. True trust requires you to behave and move and act out of that trust. Belief comes with action. Imagine everybody's heard of the trust fall, where somebody stands there, cross your shoulders or cross your arms, and then somebody behind you is going to catch you. And they say, do you trust me? And it's like, yes, I trust you. Then fall backwards. And you can say, hey, I trust you. Not about to do that. Do you truly trust them? The answer would be no. The moment that you truly show your trust is in that person is when you take that action and fall backwards. You say, God, I trust you so much that I'm actually going to move out of this trust. And so when we trust God, we walk in the promises that he's made us. God, I trust that you're going to be with me. I trust that your ways are better than my ways. I trust that you're going to work all things for the good of those who love you. God, I trust your promises, so I'm going to walk in them. God, I don't see how taking a huge pay cut is going to be better for my family. But God, I'm going to step out in that faith because I feel you calling me there. God, I don't see how selling all of my possessions, giving them to the poor, and going to a third world country is going to be better but I'm going to trust you in that, and I'm going to step out in faith. God, I don't trust how ending this relationship that is not good, but my soul is so drawn towards that person, but yet it's not in accordance with your word. God, I'm going to take that step of faith. Whatever it is that God is calling you to do, he's not just calling you to say, I trust you, but he's calling you to take that step in the right direction of following him in obedience. Because you see, Jesus, he said, not my will, but your will. But he didn't stop there. Going down to verse 52. They come to arrest Jesus. And Peter, man, he's ready to go to war. He pulls out his sword, chops off man's ear, and then Jesus said to him, put your sword back into its place. For all who take the sword will perish by the the sword. Do you not think that I cannot appeal to my Father, and he will at once send me more than 12 legions of angels, and we will wreak havoc? I mean, fight over right there. But how then should the Scriptures be fulfilled that it must be so? So Jesus is seeing, hey, I could easily say, Father, smite them all, and he would do it. But Jesus also sees that through God's will, the ultimate good is going to happen. And so he could have acted out on his own and had everything, the easier path, the better life happen. But instead, he trusts God and he behaves out of that trust. He acts from it by saying, I'm going through with this. As a sheep led to the slaughter, I am willingly He said, no man takes my life from me, but I give it on my own accord. 
Jesus entrusted himself to God. Paul tells us this in Philippians chapter 2, verse 7. He says that Jesus emptied himself. He took the form of a servant. He was born in the likeness of men. He was found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Jesus obeyed and followed what the will of God was. Even in the Old Testament, we see people who are confronted with a decision and saying, I trust God, but then when it comes to, okay, I said that, now are my actions going to back that? They actually followed it up. Daniel chapter 3, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they're all told, bow down to the golden altar, to the giant idol, bow down to it, and they say, we're not going to bow down to it. And so then King Nebuchadnezzar says, heat the furnace seven times hotter and throw them in there. And he's like, are you sure you don't want to bow down? And they say in verse 16, it says, they answered to the king, oh, Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. They have trust. We believe that God is able and is going to deliver us either out of the furnace, but one way or another, it's out of your hand. And then they say, but even if he doesn't, we trust him, and we're going to act out of that. We will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. We are going to walk into that fiery furnace. Maybe we'll die. Maybe God's going to deliver us. We're going to be obedient to what God has told us to do, which is do not bow down to any other idol. And we're going to be faithful, and we're going to act in obedience. They had belief God would deliver them. And they acted out of that belief by saying, we will not bow down. When God gives you an answer, walk in that promise. You see, John chapter 6, Jesus had just lost so many people. As he said, this is my body, this is my blood. You're going to have to, if you want to follow me, you're going to have to eat my body, eat my blood. And they were like, hey, we just wanted the bread and the fish, not your actual body. And so then he turns to the 12 and says, are you all going to abandon me too? And Peter says, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we have believed. And we have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. We trust that you are everything and you are worth everything. So we're going to follow you in that trust. 99% of those people might have said, we trust God. And then when it was put to the test, said, actually, we don't. 12 of them said, we're still following you. We're going to be faithful to God. You see, there's a, a song that I absolutely love. Jeremy Camp wrote it, and it's called Walk by Faith. And the chorus just goes like this. I will walk by faith even when I cannot see, because this broken road prepares your will for me. And I mean, it's a, such an amazing song. And any time I'm kind of like wavering on like, oh, oh, I have no idea what's going on. I kick that song on because it reminds me I'm not walking by sight. I'm not walking by my own desires. I'm walking by faith, by faith in God. And I'm going to act out of it. Not just I'm going to speak of faith and I'm going to sing of faith. Walk 
in obedience. Walk in faith. Is your life reflecting true trust in Christ? Not just as Savior of the world, but as Lord of your life? When you reflect how your decisions are being made, what you're living your life based on, is it lining up with God? This is what your word says, and man, honestly, society contradicts it. And people are trying to refute it. And there's a lot of arguments out there, but God, I trust your word. And so I'm going to walk, not just in speech, I'm going to walk and live in obedience. Because here's the thing. When we trust the promises of God, by walking in the promises of God, you then receive the reward and the blessing and the promises of God. There is a reward. There is a blessing. There is God's favor upon those who live and walk by faith. He rewards those who are faithful. It may not be how you, how you think about it, but there is a reward. Mary, she trusted God at his word. Mary, the mother of Jesus, trusted him at his word, and she got to be the mother of of the Savior of the world. She got to walk and nurture and be in that kind of relationship with him. Joseph, the unbiological father of Jesus, he trusted, because he was ready to, to divorce Mary. But God said, do not divorce her, stay with her. Raise this child, and he's going to be everything that I say that he's going to be. And Joseph stayed with Mary. Rakshak and Benny, they were faithful, and they came out of the fire. Jesus, look at what happened, because he was faithful. He united mankind to him forever. Matthew, we're jumping to chapter 28 now. Verse 5, the woman goes to the tomb, sees that it is empty, and then this man appears and says, Do not be afraid. For I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he has risen just as he said. Come, see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead, and behold, he is going before you to Galilee. Therefore, you, there you will see him. See, I have told you. Because Jesus was faithful to God and obedient in that faith, Jesus united mankind to God. He reconciled the world to him. Second Corinthians chapter 5 says, all this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Because you see, God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. That we can have that relationship that God, through Jesus, is reconciling, making what that word means is like everybody's been involved in like constrained, broken relationships. Broken friendships in elementary school, broken relationships in adulthood. And the thing is, is to reconcile means to make it right. To come back together, restore the relationship. We were not right with God because of our sin. But through Jesus, not anything that we could do, through Jesus, 
God is reconciling, making the relationship right with us. He sought you out. He is seeking you out. It says that we could not come to God unless God first drew us to him. You know, God gave his only son. Imagine if I wrote you a, a check for $100. If every single person in here, I wrote you all a check for $100. And then you came to me a little later and you were like, hey, I need $10 more. Do you think that I would be like, no? I mean, maybe if my bank account was dry, but let's say it's not. Do you think I'd be like, man, no. I just gave you $100. $10 is nothing. Think about what God gave us through Jesus. He gave us his only son. Romans chapter 8 verse 32 tells us, what then, this is verse 31, what then shall we say to these, to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? I mean, like, everything compared to giving his only son is minimal. And it's like, man, he did not spare his only son. But he loved the world so much that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who's going to condemn you? Christ Jesus is the one who died. He's the only one that condemned you, but more than that, he was raised. And he's at the right hand of God. And he's not condemning you, but instead he's interceding on your behalf. Who's going to separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword? As it is written, for your sake, we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. And so it's like, man, maybe death, because there's a lot of people dying right now for God's sake. But he says, no, actually, in all of these things, death, nakedness, danger, sword, everything that could happen to you for the gospel, you more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I'm sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Who can separate you? Nothing can. Nobody can. Because of what God has done through Jesus. God is faithful. God is always faithful. Regardless of what answer you're receiving, he's faithful. We can hold to his promises, and therefore we can walk in his promises, and eventually, maybe not now, but eventually, we will receive his promises. We will receive the reward of his promises. So what we do while we wait is we keep waiting but we wait in faithfulness. We wait by being obedient to God, knowing that eternally we have a reward that, as Doug talked about, is far greater than anything we can hold in our hand. The reward that is given to us through Jesus Christ, through the sacrifice that he made. And the only thing that we do is we receive it. 
We walk in faith of what he has done. So whatever it is that God is doing in your life, whatever, whatever you feel like, God, man, I just feel so uncertain here. God, I don't know what to do. I encourage you, walk in faith. Walk obediently to what God is calling you to do because, again, there is a promise at the end of it all, and God is faithful. He has always been faithful. He is currently faithful, and he will always be faithful. You know, Peter, as they were—Jesus had just fed the 5,000. And God called his disciples to get in the boat and go before him to the other side. And he dismissed the crowds. After he had dismissed the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone, but the boat with the disciples was a long way away from the land, beaten by waves, for the wind was against them. And in the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, It is a ghost! And they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, Take heart, it is I. I am. Do not be afraid. So Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. And Jesus said, Come. So Peter had faith. And Peter didn't stay in the boat and say, All right, I believe you. But he got out of the boat and walked on the water. And he came to Jesus. But Peter's like us. Peter saw the wind. He saw the waves. He was afraid. And so he began to sink and he cried out, Lord, save me. Jesus immediately reached out his hand, took hold of him, saying to him, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? Because I'm faithful. Because I'm God. I just told you, I am. I am greater than these waves. I am greater than whatever storms are in your life. I am the faithful God. The God of the Old Testament, I am. The God of your life now, I am. The God of your future, I am. I am faithful. So when they got into the boat, the wind ceased. And those in the boat, they worshiped him, saying, Truly, truly, you are the Son of God. And so honestly, there's times in our lives where we, we truly just feel like we're sinking. Where it's like, man, this, the waves of this life, they're just crushing over me. They're crashing. And what we do is we do the same thing that Jesus did when we start to sink because we look around to everything else. We fix our eyes on Jesus. We stand firm, as Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. He said, therefore, my beloved brothers, because he just said, this is the hope that you have, that Jesus is going to return, that you are going to have an eternal reward with him. He says, therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that the labor of the Lord is not in vain. You see that? He said, be steadfast, trust Trust in God. Trust that God is who he says he is. Abound in the work of the Lord. Walk out in that obedience. Be faithful. Continue to walk in that trust and know that your labor is not in vain. Know that when you walk in obedience to God, he's faithful and you will receive the reward. Keep on walking, brothers and sisters. Do not give up. Father God, may we fix our eyes on you. God, may we just, uh, just look to you as the author and perfecter of our faith.
God, may we rely on you and just, God, we are, we are of little faith. And so I just pray, strengthen our faith. God, whatever you're working in this room, I just pray, show us that you are faithful and strengthen our faith in you. It's in the name of Jesus that we pray this. Amen. If you'll stand, our hymn of invitation is number 596.